Hey, it's Andy. Every teen has their stuff they don't tell their parents about, not because they lack trust, but because they're trying to work it out on their own. As much as we wish we could be their go-to for everything, the truth is we can't always provide the objective guidance they need during these crucial years. That's where our partner, Bonfire Digital Wellness, comes in. Imagine your teen having a compassionate coach with years of experience as a high school counselor checking in weekly to support your teen's social, emotional, and academic growth, from fostering healthy habits to managing screen time and much more. The best part? It's all 100% online. Visit BonfireDW today and take advantage of a one-month free trial. That's BonfireDW.org slash Talking to Teens. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earl, creator of the Teenage Personality Quiz. Head to TalkingToTeens.com for a free PDF explaining how your teenager thinks. We are here today with Mike Adamick. He is the author of the book, Raising Empowered Daughters, a dad-to-dad guide. He is also the author of the best-selling family craft series, including Dad's Book of Awesome Projects and Dad's Book of Awesome Science Experiments and Dad's Book of Awesome Recipes. Mike has been featured in the New York Times on NPR, CBS Morning Show, Science Friday, PBS, and many more. We are really interested to talk to him today about what parents can do to empower their daughters in the home and also spread a message of female empowerment to your friend groups and social circles and to help change our culture to be more positive for women. Really interested to talk to Mike about strategies dads can use, any parents really, to recognize some negative messages that girls are receiving and help our daughters to see through them and get past them. Mike, thank you so much for making the time to come on the show today. Uh, I read the book here, Raising Empowered Daughters, A Dad-to-Dad Guide, and I thought that it was just so timely and also kind of inspirational, but also really a a call to arms, I think, a call to action, um, you know, that we have work to do. And so I thought it was like really nice, though, because it also has really practical things that you can do, which I really liked. Can you just talk a little bit about um, kind of how it came to be and what inspired it? Yeah, I'm happy to, Andy. Thank you so much for having me. My pronouns are he, him, and his for the wider audience. Kind of inspiration was just kind of a blind rage, frankly, at the presidential campaign, as well as kind of the reawakening of the Me Too movement, which came uh, in response to that and, you know, stories obviously out of Hollywood. Um, So it was that, and then writing in the parenting sphere about kind of calling out gender bias in childhood and in parenting that we see. And it kind of just all came together in this. I just really feel we need to do something that kind of tackles two things at once, raise strong, powerful, confident daughters like my own, who I think is amazing and awesome, and I'm trying my best. Um, But we can't just, and this is kind of the crux of the book, we just can't raise powerful, strong daughters and say, well, you know, good luck to you. 
you know, here's your armor, see you later. Uh, I really wanted to have a conversation dad to dad, man to man, um, to kind of pave a better way and say if we recognize that a lot of the things our daughter's going to face are not necessarily the most wonderful things in the world, we have a responsibility to make it a little bit easier for them. So it's really about doing a couple things at the same time. The negative messages come at them from every possible direction and you kind of like shine the spotlight on a lot of them and break them down in this book and one of them uh, towards the beginning that I really enjoyed was clothes shopping. Can you talk a little bit about the clothing options in H&M and um, why they piss you off so much? (laughs) You know what's so funny? I always have to hold a special place. I have to hold space for a distance that I'm afforded in that when I talk about these things, I sound in my brain like a crazy conspiracy theorist. Like, well, there's gender bias in clothing. There's gender bias in sports. There's gender bias in government. There's gender bias at the workplace. And for me, there's a certain amount of distance because I'm not experiencing. It's not my lived experience versus someone who's going through it. So I kind of wanted to bring a certain amount of outrage to the audience I'm writing to, fellow dads, to say, hey, this might sound crazy, but it is crazy, and it's frankly absurd. And clothes shopping is a pretty good example. I start the book with an example that I think a lot of guys or dads, hopefully when you're going to the store and you're shopping for clothes, um, just kind of doing the everyday thing of making the family run. Um, When you go to the boys' section, the clothes are like, roomy you know they're made for movement and bouncing around and they've got sharks on them and they say like adventure and i'm going to college and it's just like it's like they're just cool i like them they're nice clothes and they're made for play and they've got cool messages and then i noticed this specifically at h&m and other big retailers you go to the girls section and all of a sudden the clothes shrink you know, a size eight for a boy is like suddenly like a size four for a girl. And it's like just hard to move. And you're showing like, you know, skin. You got to apply sunscreen to your shoulders in ways you don't for boys. Um, and the messages on them, it's like everything's kind of cute and frothy and pink, which is totally cool. Yeah. I love cute and frothy and pink. But it seems to be like the only options for sale. In a lot of these stores. So it goes from like adventurous, violent, sports hero for boys to cute and frothy, flowery, like hashtags, peace, cupcakes, woo! And it's just kind of the only option. So you can really see this disparity in clothes that allow for movement and kind of adventure for boys and clothes that are a little bit more restricting, like slim jeans for girls at a really young age and heels and kind of messages that are more about appearance than than actually doing things. I wanted to just highlight that early in the book because that kind of offers a good segue into the rest of it, which is equally as absurd and outrageous. One of the big themes of the book is that... um, there's such a big difference in the way boys and girls are treated and what's expected from them in society. And a lot of it, you know, seems just 
social and you kind of break down the history of it and you also break down though uh, a lot of research and so one of the things that I thought thought was really interesting was you have a chapter in here on the quote very large differences that have been found in research between boys and girls could you could you walk me through how how that looks yeah that was um that was a really fun chapter to write and I guess I want to hold a caveat that I'm not like a neuroscientist I talked to um a lot of experts namely one Lisa Elliott, who is talking about people often point to, well, boys are better at math or tech or kind of these mathy things. Clearly, I'm not a math person myself <laughs> um, because the brains are bigger and they have like all these you know connections. And she says, well, yeah, on average, that's true. But men on average are bigger. Their hearts are bigger. Their kidneys are bigger. They're just a taller, you know, on average thing. And so we can't use that to justify discrimination. And that's kind of what I wanted to call out in the book is that often when this stuff is talked about, these kind of tiny differences that we might have, and we sure, like, no one's arguing there's no difference, no differences between boys and girls. Like, I don't think that's an argument anyone in science or academia is making. It's just when... Culturally, we talk about a lot of these differences. They're not used in a productive way to say, well, you know, there's some small biological differences between boys and girls and maybe men and women. So let's see if we can kind of work through that so that eventually we can have the same opportunities for boys and and girls and men and women. It's usually carted out to say, well, there's a giant disparity in hiring and tech. Uh, and that's fine because men's brains on average are bigger. You know, it's used, it's carved out to really justify. Yeah, they're just better. <laughs> exactly. So if you're, you know, working in the high sciences or academia or medicine to try to say like, oh, what are our differences? And, you know, do we need to do anything to close any gaps? You know, that's cool. But if you're just constantly looking for small differences, which are very small, they're not very big, to justify just kind of ongoing oppression, I always have to wonder, <laughs> why are you doing that? Something that uh, was super amusing to me and also just really uh, interesting was this chapter where you talk about how you often receive praise and applause from from people for your uh, fatherly, for your uh, being just such a good father out there. I'm curious, what what is it that you do that sets you so apart uh, from other parents that you receive applause all, all over the place? <laughs> I really like the way you set that up because it is. It's something I do as a person that really does set me apart, and that's merely existing in the world as a man with... <laughs> we we want to know these secrets, Mike. Tell us the secrets. It happens still in more ways than I can imagine and I, I talk about in the book this idea that I'm literally just walking down the sidewalk with my daughter, who is, you know, a toddler at this age, and just kind of holding hands. And I'll get like a pause. People will clap and say, oh, my gosh, Dad, you're killing it. Way to go. And I'm literally just in the vicinity <laughs> of my daughter. And it's cool. I enjoy it on some level because I'm like, gosh, how many people, when they're just going about their day-to-day, like, stopped in the cubicle and get a pause like you know way to do your job i'm a stay-at-home dad this is literally my role and 
so on some level, yeah, it's like, oh, phew, you know, not really screwing up today. That feels great. But what I call uh-huh. out is it creates, and it's a part of this cultural messaging system that says dads with kids, even messing up, you know, walking down the street is still like, you're close enough. Good job. You deserve a pause. And the message that send is it's so out of the ordinary dads with kids that it's like worthy of praise. And the flip side of that is if it's so out of the ordinary, what is the ordinary? And the ordinary in our culture is still very much, if you're a mom, you've got to be with your kid. If you're in a board meeting, where's the kid? What are you doing? You know, how on earth can you work? You know, where's the kid? And so that message feels good in the moment, but is really part of a broader kind of like cultural structure of oppression that says on the sidewalk, in the store, you know, dads, you know, at work, that we're not supposed to be with our kids. We're not supposed to parent the very things that we helped create. Anything you're doing and that is a be above exactly. and beyond. Like, yeah, just even just spending a few minutes here is like, exactly. wow, you're stellar. Example. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, uh, it, it puts us in kind of a box because it cuts us off in many ways from just the cool everyday stuff, which, you know, I'm a parent, it could be totally annoying. Mm. And it also kind of pigeonholes moms and women as just the ultimate caregivers that no matter what aspirations they have, they should be with their kids. And that's not cool. I, I wanted to point dads, I wanted to point that out for dads so we can recognize that we might need to do more in those moments, but we might need to do more to make sure we're carrying that emotional load that makes parenting, if you're in a, if you're happy to be in a shared relationship, a shared responsibility. Hey, have you guys checked out my favorite nutrition company yet? These guys are called Wild Foods, and they are on a mission to fix the broken food system. They believe, like I do, that real whole food is medicine, and they have set out to partner with farmers so they can get the highest quality ingredients in everything they do. Wildfoods.co is where you can go to check out everything they sell. I highly recommend it. And they've even given our listeners a 12% discount as part of our partnership. And you can get that with the code TALKINGWILD at wildfoods.co. If you've had any trouble finding the right match for your teenager, or if you've thought about maybe getting a counselor or therapist but weren't sure where to go to look for the right person, I recommend teencounseling.com. You answer a few questions and they pair your teenager up with the perfect counselor or therapist right where they spend the most time on their smartphone. It's completely affordable and scholarships are available. To find out more, head on over to teencounseling.com and use the code TALKINGTOTEENS. Okay, so it's hard to talk about raising girls today without talking about the messages they receive from the media, from athletes and celebrities, from movies and TV shows that they see, um, what the characters look like, and the body types that are represented. So what 
do you think is our responsibility as parents to try and combat those messages? How do we, uh, how do we kind of stand up against those a little bit? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question to do in the moment with your kids, because I know from personal experience that if you start going off on, you know, gender bias and media and sports representation and every TV show you movie you watch with your kid, eventually your kid's going to tune out and be like, oh my gosh, dad, please stop. I get it. I see it. I know. So you definitely have to pick your moments, but it is as simple as kind of like, huh, that's interesting. We've been watching this show for like a half hour and it's been all white dudes talking and maybe one woman who kind of flashed by and they showed a picture of her butt. What do you think that's about? Like it could literally be that simple and you're calling it out to the kid to let them know like that's not normal Um, and that's not okay. But what I found and I I wrote about in the book is this idea that, uh, so that's something you could talk about with your kids with, but how can you like shift culture? How can you shift society is something different. And I think of this example from Star Wars. I'm such a Star Wars nerd. I cannot wait for the new one to come out. And I'm just like already like a tuning fork of emotion waiting for that to to hit. And I think of the first reinvigorated Star Wars starring Rey. And as that was announced, a picture was released. uh, And it was a group of all the Star Wars people like, hey, here's this black and white photo of everyone's going to be in Star Wars. And it was something I forget exactly. There's like 20 dudes and maybe two women. And people called that out on Facebook, on Twitter, on social media, which might seem like, you know, total griping uh-huh. online. Like, oh, my God, they're just complaining. But the thing is, it actually had an impact. Like the screenwriter came back later and was like, well, you know, one of the reasons we created Captain Phasma and made that person a woman and tried to incorporate male background characters who were women and just kind of populate a fictional universe that wasn't like all dudes and like Chewbacca's was because of this outrage, because of people like spoke up and said, no, like we want better. Like this is the, you know, 2000 teens. We, we deserve better. So that's something that I think concrete we can do. And it might seem on some level like complaining, like I get that. But it's also voices that move the culture, whether on social media or even in your friend circles. I, th- I, th- I think that's very important yeah. to get to a broader topic because uh, on how to shift things um, culturally. I think of um, we seem very small individually sometimes, like what power do I have to shift these giant cultural narratives? And I think very often of Alan Johnson, he wrote a book called The Gender Knot, and he explains that we all live in the patriarchy. We can't really help that that's just the system, that's how it's set up, and we don't get to decide whether we participate in it, we just are, but we do get to decide how we participate in it. And that's really the main message I wanted to talk to dads about whether it comes to media representation or you know talks about girls and talks about boys or talks about opportunity is we get to decide whether we want to kind of bolster systems as they exist or kind of shift them a little bit from the inside to say like oh i think it's fantastic that you know the new hero is ray you know instead of luke skywalker like little things like that can shift your dad groups a little bit or your men groups, your friend groups of guys that can change things a little bit from the inside. And it's just calling out like, ah, you know, geez, I wanted to watch that movie, but 
you know, it's just all dudes. It seemed kind of weird. <laughs> like little things like that, I think, can can shift whether you're doing it online, uh, in social media, or with, or with your dad groups kind of over beers. I think that's important to just talk about it. You know, you don't need to get in giant fights about it, but you just need to kind of bring it to the table and say, eh, I kind of want something better. Another one that you point out in the book that I really like is this attitude of boys will be boys and that kind of like more rowdy and risky yeah. behavior is just sort of like expected and take it for granted mm-hmm. from boys. So A, why is that? Where does that come from? And then B, as a parent today, what can you do to sort of shift it in your family? That's a, that's a fantastic question and would that I knew where it came from exactly other than we have a long history of excusing pretty poor behavior just by saying, eh, we expect so little from boys that, you know, no bigs. And when I think of boys being, you know, boys, it's usually trotted out as an excuse to for bad behavior, right? We never like see a boy baking cupcakes and we're like, oh, boys will be boys. You know, it's always kind of something dangerous, something physical, something violent, something that maybe hurts somebody else. And it's like, eh. Boys will be boys. They just can't really help it. Well, obviously they can. It's a cultural construct we're creating each time we say that. Yeah. Like, I love to sew. I love to cross-stitch. I love to work out and run, you know, long-distance races. Like, all of that <laughs> stuff, I like to tell dads, is totally cool. There's no right way to be a man. There's no right way to be a boy. There's a huge spectrum of things we can do and, and a spectrum of masculinity, and it's just all okay. So that's kind of goes to the second part of what you can do in your circles, which uh, to, to help shift that is, I, I think I take a more strident tone in the book in terms of like, you know, people try it out like boys will be boys. And I think I'm like, yeah, boys will be jerks. Like, let's call them out on it and make sure they're not in the future. But I think it just kind of goes to the overall message of you can just say little things. You don't have to be a total, you don't have to like get in a fight with all your friends and family, but you can say like, you know, we expect better behavior than that. And we're not going to excuse away bad behavior just because of who you are. That's silly. Like, that's not okay. Um, so that's something I really am calling on dads to just kind of be aware of and be present every time you kind of get that urge to, to say that. Like, we'll explore why and what that yeah. excuses away exactly and whether that fits your own full spectrum of emotion that we're often not capable sometimes of uh, expressing, of bringing out and bringing to, to word, to language. So that's one of the things I definitely wanted to make sure we, we talked about and just keep an intentional space in your brain for not letting that creep in as an excuse for bad behavior because it does add up. We excuse away little things and then all of a sudden we're excusing away bad things. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like it's kind of about trying to find the way that's uh, that feels authentic for you to be able to dissent a little bit because it's like if those moments happen and you don't say anything, you're just kind of silently, implicitly allowing it to go on or agreeing. Martin Luther King said there comes a time when silence is betrayal. And I think that's true with a lot of this kind of stuff. Like, so your edict in the book to say something, you know, to call people out on it, I think is valid. And, um, you know, it might not be uh, the 
that, that people might not all do it the same way as you, but you can find a way I think that's authentic to you to just like say something just so that people know that you're not just like agreeing with whatever's kind of being done. Yeah, that's a really good thing to put kind of a, a fine point on is that feeling of, I think a lot of people get twitchy, myself included. I get it. Like it feels mm. uncomfortable to have what you think might be like an oppositional conversation about yeah. it. I think we avoid confrontation a lot, you know, and right. it feels like you just would rather just like let it just not rock the boat or something sometimes. Yeah, sociologists, you know, have that thing, like, and then what passes is normal. It's a symbolic interactionism. This idea that we kind of, through shared language and symbols, kind of, like, create our normal in culture. And for far too long, like, the normal we've created is just, eh, boys will be boys. So it does take a little bit of effort and confrontation to say, I want something better. I'm willing to engage in a little bit of trouble to make it better. And yeah. I get it. It's going to be a little bit uncomfortable. You might get in an argument with dudes, but at the end of the day, <laughs> we're really stifling our boys and we're putting our girls at, at danger, like health danger, physical danger, because we're saying like things are okay to do to them because boys just can't help it. And that's not cool. That's worth having a little conversation with Aunt Sally about sometimes, I think. Because the flip side of the boys will be boys is that girls are expected to just kind of be polite and well-mannered and good right. and not really to express those kind of um, negative emotions as much, uh, anger. And so you talk about it in here, I thought it was pretty cool, uh, the idea of getting a punching bag for girls or uh, <laughs> finding, like, finding ways, if you have girls, to kind of help them to express and get out some of those, you know, fear and anger and sadness and like those more negative emotions that, um, you know, girls aren't, quote, supposed to like express as much. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. We actually do have a punching bag at home that uh, is there, but my daughter's finding a lot more relief in taking a pill and just throwing it down like a medicine ball as hard as she can. Like, mm. ah! And I told her to add in a good scream for that. And now that she's 13, and this just kind of goes toward the idea of like earlier on, you know, I've helped manage tantrums and frustrations a little bit differently. And now I'm like, oh, you know what, kiddo? I want you to find a curse word you're comfortable saying, not like a big one, but maybe a low-key one, because <laughs> science has found that when you pair that with throwing a pillow down after uh, maybe a stub your toe, like it actually helps really pain a little bit more than not cursing. Wow. She's like, Dad, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna curse around you. That's crazy. And I'm like, all right. But it's just having that conversation. Like, how can we deal with your emotions? We are here with Mike Adamick talking about how to raise empowered and inspired daughters, and we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. And you can just say, like, why do you think it's five guys? You know, you play sports with lots of girls. Don't you think girls and women would enjoy, you know, talking about this too? A hundred percent. And that's one of the things that um, I really wanted to make clear in the book is, you know, oftentimes it's just people kind of passing around stuff that they heard. But I really want to make clear that it goes beyond having a nice talk with your daughter. One of the people I talked to in the book said something really profound that I think I wanted to really pass along to dads is we can have these great empowering talks with our daughters, 
and make equal opportunity and confidence and all sorts of things really go in our households and let them know that we've got their backs. But when they overhear us talking in our dad groups and maybe putting down women, putting down girls, being okay with obscene jokes that are really just sexually violent, they're going to pick up on that more than they're going to pick up on a lecture. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get unlimited access to all the interviews I've conducted. It's completely affordable, and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.